Good morning. Gosh, was that just uh, hearing uh, talk of the, the, the great work that that team is going to go and do. Um, mm. Just kind of makes you pause for a moment, doesn't it? Well, we are. Uh, I, I'm excited to be here today. We're we're gonna we're gonna do something that um, you just don't get to do very often um, in terms of a series uh, as we're teaching, um, <clears throat> and we're gonna be setting up. As you know, we're we're approaching uh, Palm Sunday uh, and then Easter, and and what we're gonna be doing today is um, we're gonna be looking in the scripture at what was going on in the life of Jesus about right now. Right around the week before he would, um, uh, that the, the Passover uh, was to happen, and, and, um, and there are some things that um, he has to teach us. And uh, So b- before we look at John chapter 11, what we're going to be looking at today, let me just pray for our time. Lord, uh, we come to you and we thank you. Thank you for um, that you created us to worship you and that when we are operating in that, Lord, when we are um, praising you with our, our voices and um, when we are um, putting words to uh, what our heart believes and worshiping you as King and Lord, Father, there's just something right about that, and, and it, it reminds us that, that we are not Lord, but you are. And so right now, as we open your word, pray that you would use it to, uh, to form us, Lord, to mold us, to encourage us. Just lay this time before you in Christ's name. Amen. And so if you, uh, you know, Jesus essentially knows he's going to be... Um, uh, suffering a death. He knows he's going to be arrested. If you knew you were going, you were in your last days, let's say, um, what would you do with your time? Have you ever been with someone who uh, knew they were going to pass away? And, and what, what was that time like? What, what words were spoken? What, what was the... Uh, topic of that time. I've had, uh, I had one of those uh, encounters, had one of those times where I was with a friend who um, you know, was going to pass away. And, uh, and I'll say, what I remember most about that time is that there, there wasn't any wasted words. Um, it was actually me and my boys with a dear friend, and, and uh, I just remember um, we didn't talk a lot, there was a lot of silence, but we didn't have to talk a lot, and what was said uh, was just real, and, uh, you know, it, it has been said that, you know, that the, the things that someone speaks in their last days are probably the mo- most meaningful things, and I remember about that time with Troy, uh, you know, I remember um, thanking him for his friendship, and I remember uh, laughing and uh, uh, thinking back on some, some pretty crazy things. Um, 
we did together and that he did with my boys. And, and I remember um, uh, the meal that we had. I remember what it tastes like. And uh, I remember just telling him we will take care of his family. And, uh, you know, what, what you do in those last days is pretty important. And I remember even with Troy, I asked him some, if he had any final words of advice for raising my boys. And, um, and he had some words for me. Well, John 11 records uh, Jesus, one of his more important miracles, if you will. I'm sure they were all important, but this, one, this one's a little bit different. And, and um, he had one more important lesson to teach his followers, uh, and us, for that matter. And so th- that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, we're going to look at all of John 11. I just want to tell you that. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture today, but it's really, really important as we go into... Uh, Palm Sunday and Easter, that we understand what was going on. And, uh, you know, in the chapters leading up to this, um, and, you know, in, in terms of the way John records it, um, one of the gospel writers, uh, Jesus had claimed to be the bread of life in chapter 6. He claims to be the light of the world in chapter 8. Uh, he makes a statement, before Abraham was, I am, which, a, which was a pretty bold statement to make. Um, uh, In chapter 8, he states that he is the good shepherd. In chapter uh, chapter 10, and later in chapter 10, he even makes the statement that I and the Father are one. These statements, each one of these statements was essentially Jesus claiming to be God, which was blasphemy. And so for the religious leaders, They had a problem with these. In fact, these statements very often caused them to try and capture Jesus. They picked up stones and chased him, tried to have him uh, arrested. And uh, they tried to shut him up and they couldn't. They tried to stone him and they couldn't. They tried to arrest him and they couldn't. Now Jesus obviously knew that the day was coming when he would be arrested. But many times in the Gospels, he says, my time has not yet come. Referring to that point of which he would be arrested. Jesus was always in control. Even the who, when, where, why, and how of his very own uh, arrest. And sure, he would be arrested and eventually uh, suffer uh, a horrible death to be the ransom for us. But it's important to remember that he was in complete control. He was orchestrating history. In fact, in John 10, verses 17 and 18, so before our passage that we're going to cover today. Jesus says, For this reason, meaning to offer up Himself as a sacrifice, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received 
from my Father. And then, in chapter 12, verse 23, the language changes. It says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And so something happens in chapter 11, and it's really important, and that's what we're going to be covering today. And so at the end of chapter 10, Jesus is teaching in Jerusalem, and uh, he once again makes some statements in verses 39 uh, and 40. It says that, uh, and again, they sought to arrest him, and he escaped from their hands, and he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And so this is where we find Jesus, and it's important that we know this. So here's a map and, uh, of that time. And so here's the Jordan River going straight up and down. And Jesus is in this Bethany. And that's really, really important because there's a Bethany right here too. And that's very, very close, two miles away from Jerusalem. It's important to know that Jesus is now in Bethany near the Jordan where John was baptizing. And so let's pick it up. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 11. It says, Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, okay, the, sorry, the other Bethany, okay, the one closer to Jerusalem. Jesus is in the farther away Bethany. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. And so, once again, this is the, the different Bethany. Let's go ahead and bring up the map again, and I've got it circled. So this is now, this is where Lazarus is. This is where Jesus is. That's a little over 25 miles away. And so we see that Mary um, and Martha send a messenger. Okay, and I guess that's what you did in those days. It says that they sent a message. And so they go and have a message for Jesus. And, and uh, they, he gives reference here to that this is the um, same Mary uh, who had anointed the Lord's uh, with, with ointment. Well, that actually doesn't happen until chapter 12, but you know, Paul or John knows that, and he just is simply, he's telling his story that doesn't get referred to till the next chapter. Um, but remember, this is the same Mary and Martha, though, that Jesus had a relationship with. This is the same Mary and Martha that the gospel writers record um, that invited Jesus into their home. This is the same Mary and Martha that Martha sat at Jesus' feet. But Mary chose to stay back. And as Jesus talked to her, you chose to work and be anxious about those things while I was in your presence. Uh, which great lessons for us there. But this is the, the same Mary and Martha, and Lazarus is their brother. And so although we don't have a lot of information on this, 
we can see through the scriptures that there was a, a deep relationship there. And we get reminded of it uh, several times in this passage. And so Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. And he makes a very profound statement in verse 4. He says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And once again, we're not quite sure when they got the message, because remember, it was a, a two-day journey <laughs> to send this message and to then get it back. Um, but at some point, uh, you know, that message to me would be, oh, Jesus is coming soon then. Jesus is on the way. If it was a two-day journey to get the message back, oh, what, but wait, why isn't Jesus with the messenger? If, if this is to bring glory to God, then you're going to heal our brother from his sickness, right? At least that's what it would seem. They had no doubt that Jesus could heal him. They had been with Jesus. They had no doubt that he could heal their sickness and he could probably even raise them from the dead because they had seen that before. That had happened two other times at least that we have record of. We have record in Luke 7 of the widow's son being raised from the dead and Jairus' daughter in Luke 8. And so they knew that. And even as we read the story, there's a little bit of, well, he's going to go, right? He's going to go and raise him from the dead. Let's continue. Verses 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, ah, we'll, we'll just stop right, we'll stop right there. Isn't it interesting? After he heard that Lazarus was ill, he then chose to stay two more days. What is, what is going on here? Why would Jesus wait two more days? Was, he, was this insensitive on his part? Did he really not care for Lazarus? Or was something else going on? Was this insensitive to him? Or does he have another plan? In recognition of March Madness, at this point, I would like to take a 30-second timeout. Um, you know, I had, I had a lot of different titles that I was going to uh, use this week. And one of them was Lessons from a Dead Guy. Uh, another one, you know, Lessons from Martha. You know, you, there are a lot of things in here. Um, but have you ever prayed something and you either got silence or a no from the Lord because this is essentially what's happened here I mean sure a promise has been made but but Jesus isn't showing up have you ever prayed something and either just got silence from the Lord or a no and wondered if the Lord really cares I, I know I have I, I, our family's in a little bit of this right now. We've been in it for a while. Of just, Lord, what are you doing here? And uh, on my best day, I've learned to uh, take a step back and to reflect 
on who I know God is, who his word says that he is, and to reflect on his character and his faithfulness and his goodness and his provision and to, to specifically look at my own life and how the Lord has redeemed me and, and how he has blessed me and, and my family and uh, to reflect on all the ways that he has shown grace and mercy. And then I feel like I'm a little in a little better spot to step back into the current situation that I'm either getting a no or silence on. Um, and I have a little bit of a new perspective. Is it really that God is, 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 doesn't care? Is it really that he's uh, holding back his love and his care for me? Or is it possible that the God of the universe who breathed life into me, created me out of dust, might know what's best for me? Even if remaining silent or the answer being no is exactly what I need to lean into him more. Time in. John uh, 11, 7 through 10. Let's continue. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not with him. So after two days, he does decide to go and be with Lazarus. And uh, he says, let's go to Judea. So once again, let's look at our map, just that distance on our, uh, so this is, Judea is this region. In the region of Judea, he was in Perea there. And so going to Judea meant that he was going to be near Jerusalem. And so for uh, going to Bethany to where Lazarus is, once again, that puts him two miles from Jerusalem, the very place that he ran from at the end of chapter 10. Uh, and so his disciples say to him, do you really want to go there? Do you not remember? Uh, but Jesus answers them with a statement uh, that's intended to re reveal uh, some, that some things are about to change. In verses 9 and 10, a little bit of a, uh, he's telling a story that has multiple meanings. Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not with him. Up until now, whenever people had pursued Jesus to arrest him, he had fled. Uh, but he's given a clue here that that day is changing. And so there's two sides to this as I, as I read up on this. Uh, one is just this idea that um, the day that Jesus is going to give himself up, that day is coming soon, but he's got some things to do. And regardless of what the enemy is doing, he is going to walk around in the light, if you will, during the daylight hours, and he is going to 
do the things that he needs to do before he is arrested. Once again, he is determining that day. But also, there's the side of this of him being the Savior and him walking in the light and being seen by people. That he is the light of the world. And both of those, a lesson teaching his disciples that uh, now he's going to walk freely during the day knowing that his Father is going to protect him to the last very hour before he gives himself up. But we still have this question, why the two days? Why would Jesus wait two days? Let's look at verses 11 through 16. It says, After these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I, <clears throat> but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death. But they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them, Plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we might die with him. Jesus has made this reference before when someone uh, had died and uses the word sleep. And, and you know, he, once again, he's using this to, to teach them. Uh, but his disciples, um, they're, they're a little slower catching up. And so, uh, and I think it's just interesting here, there's just this simple little statement that Jesus has died. Okay, he's not with them. It's just another testimony of this is God in the flesh. He's not there. <laughs> he knows Lazarus is dead. He knows he's dead. He has a plan here. He is orchestrating all of this. And once again in verse 15, he uses this as an opportunity uh, to teach his disciples something much, much bigger. They had seen him heal the sick before. I mean, Jesus literally could have, from where he was, there, Lazarus is healed. I mean, he really could have done that. But once again, he's got something else he's teaching his disciples. The miracle was not about raising Lazarus, uh, not about healing his illness. It was about something much bigger than that. He knew that his disciples, for his disciples, it was going to get pretty messy in the coming days. He knew that for his disciples, they were even going to be in danger. And he had something for them to help encourage them, to help them in their belief and in their faith to make it through these difficult days that were coming. He had one last miracle. And so that's that explanation. I'm glad I wasn't there to just heal him right there because I've got something else going on. It seems like Thomas gets it, doesn't it? Thomas says, well, let's, we're going to go with you. And Thomas even expresses, we're willing to die with you. I mean, he, he knows, oh my God, if we go back to Jerusalem, this is the end. And Thomas says that he's ready. Verses 17 through 19. It says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, 
about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary and consoled them concerning their brother. Now, I had made the reference earlier that um, Jesus had raised people from the dead in the past, um, but that this was uh, a little bit different, and this is where we learn why it's different. Um, both Jairus' daughter and the widow's son were raised very, very soon after their death, and they were still lying in the beds that they died in. And so, you know, within a matter of, of hours, uh, Lazarus was not only dead, but he had been in the tomb for four days. And that was pretty important. There was a Jewish belief that the soul would hang around the body for three to four days, hoping to be reunited with the body. But by the fourth day, decomposition would set in, and then there was no natural hope for that to happen. And so we see that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And so, but Jesus could have made it. <laughs> Jesus could have been there. Why? Why would he wait two days? Many Jews, uh, as we see, were with Mary and Martha consoling them. And, and that was a tradition of the day. Um, sure, you had your friends that might help console you, but it was traditional to even, there were professional mourners. And they would come and they would mourn with you. And this could go on for days. And so that's the, the reference that we have here. And so we continue. Verses 20 through 27. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she, she went and she met with him. But Mary, remi- remain, but Mary remained seated in the house. Remember, we've seen that before, uh, as I referenced earlier. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And so after hearing that Jesus was near, Martha goes out to him. So he's not quite in Bethany, uh, that area. But, um, and she says what everyone is thinking. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. As, even as you read that, you, you just put yourself into that. What would you have said? What would have been the first thing you would have said to him? And I read a ton of things on this this week, and I want to read to you one commentary that I, I just think takes this little dialogue here and, and um, just gives a great perspective on it. When Martha hears that Jesus is on his way to Bethany, she goes out to meet him, and her first words to him express 
her conviction that if only Jesus had been present at the crisis of her brother's illness, he would not have died. But great as her disappointment is, she has such confidence in him who is known to herself and her sister as the master, that she is very sure that, even though humanly speaking, the time for action seems to have passed, any petition he may yet address to his heavenly Father will be granted. Don't you love Martha? She just teaches us so, so much. Some out of her own brokenness, but certainly her heart for the Lord. And, and remember that this is that same Martha that sat at Jesus' feet, as is written about in the other Gospels. And uh, Well, Jesus assures her that he will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And then Martha makes the reference to Lazarus being resurrected on the last day. And, and uh, when Jesus establishes his kingdom, uh, and then Jesus takes the opportunity to make a new claim about himself. I started off with all those claims at the beginning because it's leading to this claim that Jesus ultimately makes in verses 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This was new terminology, even for Martha, uh, who knew Jesus. And as we discussed earlier, uh, he had claimed a lot of things, but this was new language. And this dialogue ultimately ends with Martha proclaiming Jesus as Lord. 30-second timeout. Another situation, different circumstances where Martha comes asking Jesus for a miracle. And yet, Jesus has something else in mind. Have you ever been in that situation where you're pleading to the Lord and asking Him for something, and He ends up coming and meeting you, meeting your needs in a way that you never expected? Martha came thinking that, basically telling Jesus, look what has happened. But I know that you are the master. She comes in her pain, and yet she leaves, not with the assurance that Jesus was going to go and raise him from the dead. And that's what's interesting about this. She goes more assured of who Jesus is and proclaims him, proclaims him as Lord. She comes asking for this, but she walks away with so much more. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And I don't know about you, but there are some times in my life when I haven't known what to pray. Maybe it's, I've been in such a, uh, uh, a deep spot, just didn't know how to pray. Lord, what are you doing? But Martha, I think, gives us some, some great words to pray. Sometimes that's all we can pray. Yes, Lord. I don't know what's going to happen in this situation, but I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. 
verses 28 through 37, it continues. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard this, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rising quickly to go, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could he not, who opened the eyes of the blind, also have kept this man from dying? Sorry, that was a lot there. But, uh, and so it's, now it's Mary's turn. And, you know, at this point, uh, you know, so she goes and she asks the same question, the same initial question of Jesus, but yet that's where things change a little bit. And, and you know, as I read through this, you know, you could spend a bunch of time working through some things here of, uh, you know, this is, one, this is the second time that, you know, Mary uh, was the second one to go be with Jesus and, and what was going on there. But uh, I think more importantly, you know, why don't we have record of Martha sharing all of her story with her sister, Mary? Or why didn't Jesus share everything with Mary that, she shared with, that he shared with Martha? And it's not that those aren't valid questions, but what we've got to remember is John is writing things for a very, very specific purpose. And that if that was important information, and we should cross-reference this is the only gospel that writes of this. And so John gave us the information that was important for the main point of this passage. And so although there may be some things like another one, we'll, you know, we'll see in a second. Well, where have you laid him? Jesus asked the question, where have you laid him? Well, of course he knows where they laid him. But, but once again, for John, that was an important thing to put in there for the overall purpose of this passage. And so this moves, this passage moves pretty quickly to reveal a very tender side of Jesus that I just love. And he is deeply moved and Jesus wept. Shortest passage in scripture. Jesus wept. And another little short time out. Isn't it amazing that even while Jesus is uh, entering his final days to redeem the world for eternity, orchestrating the movements of nations and armies as to when he would be arrested. He is sensitive enough to recognize the sorrow that is going on here, and he wept. And how often have I felt like uh, a little old me, God doesn't want to pay attention to my little tiny needs when there are groups going to 
all around the world, he needs to pay attention to them. And I think a great encouragement that whatever you're going through today, the Lord pays attention to little old you. And uh, let God's word be testimony to that. So we continue. Verses 38 through 44. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, this is great, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, and I, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound up in linen, with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I have a picture here of uh, two different pictures. Um, what, what's really cool about this, I mean, they know Lazarus's tomb. I mean, so this is Lazarus's tomb. Uh, and the next picture, I mean, you do a Holy Land tour and, um, you know, they have enough records to be able to determine um, actually where it's at. And, and I'll tell you, I didn't, I didn't want to have too many pictures, but this tomb isn't just a straight-in tomb. This thing goes downstairs and steps and, you know, and so the miracle wasn't just that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but how he got out of there being bound. I mean, once again, here's the practical side of Jesus. Unbound him. He's going to trip and fall. And, and um, uh, But this miracle was, uh, once again, something different. And so he, we are reminded by uh, Jesus here of this conversation that he had earlier with, uh, with Mary. And it, it just uh, comes out right here with this whole thing of remove the stone. And Mary responds pretty quickly with uh, kind of the, I guess what would have been the obvious if you lived in a time where people were buried in tombs, you knew that there was a stench that was going on there. Um, but uh, Jesus quickly, re, you know, and, there, and there's a whole other sermon there of uh, Jesus isn't afraid to deal with our junk, our mess, our odor of our past sin. Um, we could spend a, a lot of time on that, that Jesus really doesn't care about that. And regardless of how bad we may think we are or what we've done, um, Jesus is ready to step into that. But um, so Mary uh, asks this question, um, but Jesus reminds him of the discussion that they had earlier. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And, and I'm not sure that, that Martha had forgotten that necessarily. Um, you know what? I truly believe that after Martha's last encounter with Jesus, where she professed him as Lord, I think she was kind of okay with if the God of the universe thinks it is best 
that my brother be where he is, I'm content with that. I think she was kind of surprised, maybe, that Jesus was now going to do this miracle. I think her, although sad and all of that, but, you know, she was, why would you take away the stone? It's going to sink. Well, that's how I'm going to do the miracle. You know, I mean, there's, there's this practical side of this dialogue. Uh, and yet she did not doubt that he was Lord. Once again, she had gotten so much more from her encounter with him. And so in verses 45 through 48, as we're coming to a close here, and once again, I love it, that reveals the practical side of Jesus, that unbind him uh, and let him go. Verses 45 through 48, And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them that Jesus, what Jesus had done. So the chief, chief priests and Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and they will take away both our place and our nation. This is a, a very critical point in this because remember, um, when Mary went to see Jesus, this group went with him. And who was that? The Jews. And so some of the Jews are now watching this happen. Some of them believed, but some of them went to the religious leaders. And they were assessing their situation. And basically the predicament that they were in was, you know, they, they had the religious thing down. They had their way of doing things and the way that they kept the people at, underneath them. But now Jesus, I love it that it says, if he keeps doing miracles, <laughs> essentially, if he keeps proving that he is who he says he is, then our way of life, gentlemen, is in trouble because people are going to start believing him because we don't have much to believe in. We're manipulating and controlling. So if Jesus continued to do what he was doing, they were going to lose the people and Jesus' actions, and that would cause a ruckus, and Rome did not like ruckuses. Rome liked to keep things under control. So as long as the Jews and the Jewish leaders kind of kept things status quo, Rome let them operate. But if there was an uprising, Rome would move in so not only would the religious leaders lose their people, their believers, because they would follow Jesus, Rome would come in and squash them. They would take them under rule again. And so the religious leaders definitely did not want that to happen. But one of them, verse 49, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest of that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for one ma that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nations, and not for the nations only, but also to gather into uh, one of the, ch the children of God who are scattered abroad, so that from that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. And so Caiaphas makes this suggestion, and here's how we're going to solve this. 
But isn't it interesting? He's saying it from the standpoint of, hey, I know how I can save our nation. <laughs> Let's just get rid of this guy. Then it's all right. But unknowingly, he is prophesying exactly what Jesus had come to do. That what Jesus would do in the coming weeks. That one die would die for an entire nation, for an entire people, for God's creation. And he didn't even know that he was doing that. The religious leaders knew that the word would get out quickly, and so they uh, couldn't have that, and so they put together their plan to arrest Jesus. And so we have in uh, verse 54, it says, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness uh, in the town of Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. So one more little map here. Uh, that we have. So Ephraim is up here. It's a wilderness area. And uh, so here we have Jesus retreating there for some of his last days. In verses 55 through 57, it says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And there, looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know that they might arrest him. And so they had had enough. The Jewish leaders had had enough. And they had put the word out. But the Passover was approaching. For the Jews to go up to Jerusalem, Jerusalem was one of the highest points in that area. And so the people are wondering. The word is probably getting out about Lazarus. And so people are wondering, will Jesus even show up to this Passover? But little did they know that not only was Jesus going to show up, but that he'd been planning this day for his entire lifetime. For it was at this Passover that a new thing would be established. It was, it was during this week that he would be turning himself. For this was the day that he was living for. That he would eventually die. And so would he show up at this Passover? Absolutely he would. For the time had come for him to offer himself up as the Passover lamb to take away the sins of the world. And so why did Jesus wait two days before going to Bethany to see Lazarus? Because Jesus was living out the greatest love story ever told. Because Jesus was planning his own arrest, death, and resurrection as it had been prophesied hundreds and hundreds of times over hundreds and hundreds of years, even down to the very day. And so you see, Jesus was not being insensitive at all when he delayed two days before going to Lazarus, but rather, he had one last thing to teach his disciples and us. That he is the resurrection and the life. And that whoever believes in him, though he may die, 
yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. And what better way to show that but through performing his greatest miracle up until that point, at least, of raising Lazarus from the dead after four days in the tomb. A foreshadowing of his own death and resurrection. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for um, your word. Lord, thank you that uh, you um, have a perfect plan as demonstrated here in this passage. And although there's difficult parts towards, of it because it leads towards um, your suffering, ultimately, Lord, it is for your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.